And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I'm here, so <laughs> I'm Shea Good Sugs in and I'm down to dunk. Howdy, Oklahoma. My name is Chet Holmgren and I'm down to dunk. Dead gum. I'm Josh Giddy and I'm down to dunk. This is Lou Dort and I'm down to dunk. <laughs> I have I didn't, is that like you eat it together? Everybody tells okay. him to get the bag of burgers. I need like a straw, like Howdy. I'm a, I'm an artist on the court. This is Jay Will, and I'm down to dunk. My name is Kenrich Williams, and I'm down to dunk. It might be Aaron Wiggins. This is a troll. It's a troll. I'm trolling. Howdy, Papa. Because I, I think it would take away from who he is, you know? Yeah, 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 but. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love Oklahoma. <laughs> I love Oklahoma to death. This is Lou Dort, and I'm down to Dort. Perfect. Good. Very good. I like the hat. You bro. like the hat? <laughs> Vava? This is J-Dub, and I'm down to dunk. I've been doing a lot of dunking. <laughs> Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schleck. We're part of the Athletic Podcast Network. With me, hardly ever, on a Monday, it's my good friend Alex Spears. Alex, what's up? What's up, Andrew? Glad to be here. It's so good to have Al on a Monday. So, uh, Michele was unable to do it. So, we're flip-flopping this week. We'll have Michele on Wednesday, Alex on Monday. Um, Big shout-out to Jay and Luke for holding down the fort for the fry pod (laughs) on a Thursday night. Shout-out to them. Um, As I was sick and Alex is (laughs) taking in people (laughs) to get out of the cold... Um, yeah, it's rough. So, anyway, shout out to them for doing that. Very much appreciated. Uh, we got ice here now, Al. We got school canceled. Just a big shit really? of ice. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Here in OKC, no one's going anywhere. Wow. No one's going nice. anywhere. Especially, how 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 much how much ice? Like enough uh, like power outages? No power outages. No. Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just like just enough to disrupt life here, and I'm sure some people are like. It's ridiculous, but Oklahoma City is just not equipped at all to handle any kind of freezing anything. Yeah, that's how that's how Portland is. Except there's more hills, and then and then people get really mad at DeAndre Ayton. And then Ayton when just I, can't, can't get out of his house. It's but honestly, be, like living here, everyone who lives here is like, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be something that will be remembered about him forever. Yeah, it will. It's unfortunately, just amazing. He was terrible last night too. I was I was looking at the box score after that game. <laughs> well, <sighs> we get to see him tomorrow night here in Oklahoma City. Very exciting. So coming off of that road trip, hey, getting to come home and play the Blazers. Yeah, we got a, a nice b- little treat. Back hopefully. to back, Portland, and then they fly to San Antonio. Yeah. So. so San Antonio has been playing better, but yeah, still that's a nice little stretch. And I think they play. Who, who's the third bad team they play? Is it Detroit? They got Detroit on Sunday, 
at, yeah. at a one o'clock central time start. So they, which, which is nice. Cause that gives them a little extra time yes. for the, the Minnesota the game to get home. Yes, it yeah. is. It is good. Um, which we'll be very much looking forward to because the Thunder absolutely stun the Timberwolves. Me and us, dude. I thought watching that game, you know, you're halfway through the fourth, you're like, okay, I see where this is headed. I've watched a lot of NBA games. This is tough. Yeah. Like, no one can score. It's a slog. Like eight points feels like 20 points, you know, in a game like this because. No one's shooting the ball well. Like you're, we're playing. It was like a college basketball game. Where, yeah. Where like your team gets down by ten. It's like okay, well that's the end yeah, of the it's game. over. Yeah, it didn't feel it. It you, the Thunder had to just claw their way back into this game. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah, uh, Michael Kine in the uh, chat, rock fight. Yeah, that's exactly the way that Mark Dagnall would put it. It was a rock fight. They they had to truly claw their way back into this one, and they did. And it was with like defensive intensity and just like not turning the ball over. The Timberwolves, I think they had seven turnovers in the fourth quarter. And then they could they only scored, I think it was three made field goals and 14 total points. And you credit the Thunder defense, you credit the Thunder offense too for being able to generate those the points that they needed. And I don't know about you, but whenever I saw Dort and and I want to like talk about Dort more than just this because Dort was awesome in this game. Like gave Anthony the business in this game. But the foul on Edwards <laughs> at the end of this game. I oh, thought, geez. I, w- I was actually thinking about something else. Oh, what were you uh, thinking about? I was thinking of that play. It was a super important play. The play that he drove on Carl Anthony Towns in like the last minute. Yes. And you're like, Dort, stop, 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 stop. And then he just throws it up and he somehow gets fouled. And you're like, okay, fine. Yeah. But there was that play, which I it ended up working out well. But yeah, I actually just forgot about the fact that he uh fouled Anthony <laughs> he Edwards. Fouled the Anthony Edwards. <laughs> I I just I still can't believe that he did that. And I still cannot believe that Ant missed all three. I mean, to miss all I mean, he missed the first one. You're like, oh wow, okay. Like, we're still going to be able to play the foul game here. And then he misses the second one, like, re- like badly. Yeah. And you're like, wow. And then, like, I don't know, like, does he forget the rule? Or, like, what like what happened there? Because, I mean, it's, you know, Isaiah Joe goes and hits two free throws to put it to 197. And then they're, like, scrambling up the court. There's only six seconds left in the game. Edward shoots it with three seconds left. And gets fouled, and you think, "Oh my gosh, this stupid game's going to overtime!" <laughs> like this is, yeah. I cannot believe the Thunder like clawed back, like have the win in hand, and really just need to defend, and need to like stop a three from going in, and you just like hand it to them, and like as a as somebody who's like watched the Thunder for forever, you it like you have like flashbacks to moments where like Russ is fouled on a three in moments like this. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is what it must have felt like to be a Clippers fan, <laughs> you know, in a moment like this. Yeah. But then it absolutely was not because Edwards misses all three. And then the third one, he just like throws it off the backboard. Maybe he forgot the rule that you have to touch the rim. But 
it just felt like such a gift given from Edwards. And then the fact that he's mad about free throws after the game is uh, kind of ironic and just funny. Uh, his quote, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's hard. So he's asked, what's the key to slowing down Oklahoma City? It's hard to, with the calls that Shea gets, it's hard to shut them down. You can't touch him at any time of the game. Super hard to beat. That team is a good team, especially when they're getting calls like that. And uh, Brandon Rabar to the rescue. He said free throw attempts in the three games for the Wolves and Thunder this season, SGA 26 and Edwards 29. So, Yeah, I mean, he had 10 in this game. Yeah, he's like uh, he's taking lots of free throws. So it, it's it's just funny that that's where he goes to. And it's it's just sour grapes is all it is. Like I'm sure he's mad at himself for missing the free throws. I'm sure he's frustrated with the way they turn the ball over. I mean, I'm sure that there's like a lot of things going through his head, but the fact that he goes to that as the reason that it's hard to slow Oklahoma City down is, you know, it, I'm sure all Thunder fans just think it's comical more than anything else. Well, especially in a season where his free throws are still down. Like he's he's still averaging two fewer free throw attempts free throw attempts yeah. uh, compared to last season. So, I, like, I get it. Uh, that, that That's going to come with a, a, a player having this type of meteoric rise. Like, you got to find something. And that that is the obvious thing because people will – it'll remind them of James Harden. And so they'll it, they'll just link him to James Harden or to Trey Young yeah. when they see a guard getting to the line a ton. I mean, people do it to Embiid as well. Like they're they're just it's just fact that when you're an MVP candidate when you're that level of player it's very you're very hard to guard yeah you're very hard to guard that's exactly. part of the deal exactly and I don't think that he does he does some foul baiting absolutely but he does not do it to the level that James Harden did once upon a time like you you don't see him doing the thing where he like hooks their arm right and then is shooting like through their arm you don't see anything that egregious mm-hmm. same with Trey like you don't see anything as egregious as some of the things Trey does so i i mean i get it from other teams fan fan base's point cuz you got to like find something but you got to be mad I don't about think something it's nearly as bad yeah, yeah. It, it's, but uh yeah. yeah go ahead well to 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 come back around to Dort cuz he did have that foul he did have the he actually had multiple plays where he was driving on Carl Anthony Towns and just did not seem to care the, the, about Carl Anthony Towns at all. Oh, yeah. He was like, this is a good matchup for me. This is a mismatch. I'm going for it. Yep. And and a few of them worked out. Like He would stop in the mid-range and pop. I think he hit two of those. Uh, but what he did defensively, he it was such a tough assignment because they ran him through so many screens. Yeah, and a lot true. of those screens are Gobert, which is he's a large gentleman. And so Dort's having to fight around Gobert. There were multiple plays where he was having to run through two screens. You know, mm-hmm. they would do like a staggered screen mm-hmm. uh, for Ant, and Dort was getting around those. And for the most part, I feel like he did a really good job of fighting around those screens and staying as close to Ant as he could. There were a few times when Ant drove by, but I mean, Ant's really good. But the fact that you look at the box score and Ant only took 10 shots... That's a win. Him scoring under 20 points in a game is absolutely a win. Oh, yeah. No and, doubt. And, and you have to credit Dort for a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, because he just he has that intensity that he can play that way from start to finish. Yeah. And, and I just think that's really hard 
to to manage. He's a, he's probably a really annoying player to play against. Uh huh. Yeah, and some of it is like, I mean, it's it's funny to look at the box score because you see the the Timberwolves just field goal attempts in this game seventy five. Yeah, it's really low. It's really low, and some of it is that they shot twenty nine free throws. You know, yeah. and the Thunder's Thunder's at eighty one field goals, uh, and they shot thirty five free throws. I mean, it's just it's crazy. Um, but yeah, it's. You have to give the Thunder credit. I mean, the word that Degnault uses is resilience. And, like, this team has been, like, very resilient in the way that they've played. Like, they've the amount of come-from-behind victories that they've had is kind of crazy, especially when you think back to last season. It was something that they just, like, did regularly. And so it's, yeah. like, it's almost like a muscle for them, you know, that they have just – they never get, like, panicky – you know, you don't watch this team and think they get panicky. There's been Thunder teams in the past that felt like they're a little panicky. I mean, those like Russ PG teams, it felt like they were panicky all the time. They were like trying to get back in the game with like one shot kind of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, like a pull up Russ three yeah. in transition. Yes. When you're down by like eight and yeah. it's like very important to like settle things down. Yeah, there were a lot of those. With, with Shea, it's just that he can get to his. He can get a really good shot whenever he wants. Yeah, that's true. And so even even some of those ones he missed in the fourth quarter where he's shooting like a turnaround mid-range, mm-hmm. we've, we've seen him do that. So like wasn't a bad shot. I mean, he's he's amazing in the mid-range, and he made a couple of those as well late in the fourth. So, yeah, it's it's just a really, a really fun team to watch because of everything we're describing. The fact that they don't ever really pack it in, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, going into that fourth quarter, especially the way they played in the third, it was like, okay, it seems like the Timberwolves figured out some stuff. They finally stopped turning the ball over, you know, outscored them by 12 in the third. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like, okay, th- I wasn't even mad. It was like, this is a, yeah. this is a good game, yeah, hard game on the road, and for them to call, come all the way back. There are some things, though, that I think are worth talking about. One is that different from the last matchup, they did start Gobert on Giddy, yeah, which they hadn't done the last time. I think they started like Mike Conley on him last mm-hmm. time. Yeah, they did. Um, That's right. And you know, if you look at the box score at the end of the game, I think the Timberwolves would tell you, okay, we feel like pretty good. Like Dort and Giddy combined for three for eleven from three. Mm-hmm. That the Thunder took twenty four three pointers. And Dorton Giddy took about half of them. Yeah, like that—that's a win for mm-hmm. the Timberwolves, mm-hmm. and they shot three of eleven. Now, Dort actually was pretty good. He was three for seven. Yeah, Giddy was zero for four. But like they'll take that. What I thought was strange, though, is rewatching the game. There were so many times when Gobert would go out and guard Giddy on the perimeter, <laughs> and it's like the whole po- yeah. what isn't the whole point of this that you don't have to guard him on the perimeter? Yeah. There was a play very early in the game first quarter where Gobert is defending Giddy in the corner. J-Dub starts driving the lane. He's backing down Conley. Gobert starts to help off of Giddy. Makes sense. Giddy starts cutting behind Gobert, but Gobert cuts it off. So Dub passes it back out to Giddy, who moves back out to the wing. He's behind the three-point line, mm-hmm. and Gobert goes out goes to guard him. Creates the space that should have Creates the space, there. so Giddy just yeah. throws it to J-Dub, who's still on Conley, under the basket, and he gets a foul. And I was just so confused. Like, this isn't really... The strategy. Like, yeah. This is just guarding him with your best room well, protector. Finch talked a little bit about it after the game in that 
and and I think it's it's funny because I don't think we've thought about it from this perspective at all. I think we always think about it from the opposite. But Finch talked about how when you put your big on Giddy, it takes you out of your normal coverages, and you're having to like rework a lot of different things to yeah. to make it to make it work for your team. And you know, as Thunder fans, like we think about it as like, oh man. Like, this is bad. Like, they can just keep their big on Giddy. Giddy can't do a thing. It almost, like, neutralizes him in a lot of ways. Yeah. But, you know, like, in that moment, like, it was, like, Giddy's, like, smarts and recognition that got them those points, you know, that he, like, recognized it so quickly that he was able to throw it back to, to J-Dub. Um, so it can work the other way, too, as long as, like, they're playing the right way. And as long as Giddy isn't like trying to force anything or like, cause I, cause I think a lot of what like putting a center on Giddy does it like it can make, I'm, I'm sure. And I'm, and this is just all like me just projecting, but it's like, it can, I, I would assume that it would make me feel very self-conscious as a basketball player, you know, like, cause I'm sure that they just play a lot of times. Like you're just playing, you're playing the game. The game is flowing. You know how to play this game. You've played thousands of games and you know how to do it. And then the minute that like something is different and people play you differently, I'm sure you become just like very self-conscious. Like, oh my gosh. Like, and like, I can't really do the normal things that I do and I can't operate the way that I want to on the court. And so, you know, it's a credit to, to Giddy that he's like starting to like not feel as uncomfortable in those moments. And, and a credit to like Mark that... He recognizes like there's some games that Giddy's going to be very helpful, and there's others that he's not. You know, he only played 25 minutes in this game. You know, they gave a lot more. And I still think it's Joe the and, right, yeah. And I still think it's the right decision from the Timberwolves. Like I, I sure, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of adjustments they make in the next game because oh, yeah. overall, like OKC was not good offensively at all. Mm-mm. Like I, I, I put, I tweeted it out that. Uh, cleaning the glass had that as their worst half court offense game of the season, wow. and it was yeah. by like a decent amount. It was by like two points per hundred possessions. Yeah, so they were terrible in the half court. So it wasn't really anything um, <laughs> like uh, this. Isn't you know t- shade at the Timberwolves? You know, I thought they were, had a really good defensive game. I just thought that particular aspect of it was a little strange. Yeah, both and, teams you know, were bad offensively. Like both teams, do what? both teams were bad offensively in this game. Yeah, the Wolves had twenty-one but, turnovers in this game. That was like that to me. Like that's the game. Well, that's not just the game. I think that's the matchup. Yeah. Like when you think ahead, totally, totally. because because what happened there with the turnovers that isn't new. You know, mm-hmm. I was listening to, to the Dane Moore podcast, which uh, or Dane Moore show. Um, which you, you guys should go listen to it. Yeah, if you're a Thunder Dane's fan, really you want to hear more about that Timberwolves game because most of that podcast was just them talking about this ma- matchup in like the bigger sense, yeah. like thinking ahead to the playoffs. And there's a, a his guest on there, his name is Britt Robson. Yeah. He made a really good point that like crystallized a lot for me. He, he was talking about how OKC generates a lot of their turnovers more from execution and game planning Versus them being like overly aggressive. Yeah. Because a lot of times when you think of a young team that gets out in transition a lot, gets a lot of steals, you think of a team that's like gambling a lot, basically. Yeah. yeah. Like, and that's not really what happened. And a great example is one of the first turnovers in that game. Dub was on Gobert and Conley comes around. He's and, and, he, and he throws a lob. 
and you could see it before he even threw the lob that J-Dub knew what was about to happen. J-Dub had so much time to like plant his feet, get ready for that lob, mm -hmm. jump up and tip it away from Gobert. Mm -hmm. And that's all like game planning, like recognizing, oh, this is what Conley's about to do. I'm ready for it. He was like, it looked like he was like a DB, like sitting on a passing route. And uh -huh. He just knew the quarterback was going to throw there the mm -hmm. entire time, just waiting for the interception. And I thought that was a really great point because that speaks more to how good Mark is as a coach, as opposed to a team just like being young and super athletic and just like causing all this havoc. Yeah. And we've seen teams like that who have been really good. But so many of those turnovers going back through are OKC recognizing what Tim the Timberwolves are about to do. And then being there before they need to be, you know, yeah. like like jumping ahead. So I, I thought that was a really interesting point that he brought up. But but going back to Minnesota, like those turnovers, the turnover issue is not new for them. Like that yeah, wasn't true. just an OKC thing. Mm -hmm. And that's why when I think about the other teams at the top of the Western Conference, Denver, Clippers, and Minnesota, Minnesota, even though they're the best team in the West right now, they scare me so much less than the Clippers and Denver. Yeah. Because all three of those teams have size, but like you really feel the size on offense against Denver because you you're just terrified of what Jokic is going to do to you oh, yeah. on the on that end. Mm -hmm. You don't you don't really feel Minnesota's size as much when you're defending them. Like go I know Gobert had a good game against the Thunder, you know, one of those games this year. Yeah. But you know he's one for one. 6 in this game. Yeah. Like you're just not that worried about him you feel that you feel their size definitely when you're trying to score on them mm -hmm. like that that is definitely a thing but with denver like you feel their size when you're trying to defend them oh, and yeah. then the offense is just like nowhere near denver or the clippers the clippers are the one who's like offense really terrifies me because they're such a good shooting team but you have a game like that where okc was not good offensively and it it kind of like fed into this idea that I'm not really worried about the Timberwolves because they couldn't really do anything about it. Like you weren't worried about them having some amazing offensive game necessarily because that's just not the type of team they are. Like they're a team built on their defense. Yeah. And so I, I don't know. I mean, if I was ranking like who I would least want to see in the playoffs, like it would definitely start with Denver mm -hmm. and then it would be the Clippers mm -hmm. and then the Timberwolves be after that. We'll see by the end of the season, there might even be teams other than those three that I would be worried about, um, you know, if some of these teams turn it on. But that's how I would yeah. rank them right now. And a lot of it is because I'm just not as worried about their offense. Yeah, <clears throat> I I agree with that. I think it is it is a clear problem. And like you mentioned that, you know, the turnovers is the matchup. That was, you said it was like one of the worst games in, or in uh, the half court for them, but it was one of their best games in transition. According to cleaning the glass, yeah, season, uh, like their third best in transition, and then their second best off of steals in transition all season, uh, which I thought was interesting to see because like that was basically the only way that they scored was like playing fast, you know, getting into their either scoring on a fast break or like just getting into their offense a lot faster. Um, actually got them points in this game and was like one of their best games doing that. So it, it is an interesting game because, I mean, if you're a Thunder fan, like you hear all the time, like they need to get another big. 
they need to get another big. Like we need a big man to match up with the Timberwolves. We need a big man to match up with this team, with that team. But like I don't know that necessarily like getting a big man is gonna like help them beat the Timberwolves. You know, like they lost the rebound oh, battle, but like they won they won the game. And if you start to play, like I think what fans like don't realize what they're asking is like, let's go away from the style of play that has worked, that has brought them to second in the Western Conference, best net rating in the Western Conference, to play a little bit more like these other teams. I just don't I just don't think that people necessarily even understand what they're asking for. I think I don't think it means that like they shouldn't go after like some backup big man just to have just in case. I think that that wouldn't be a bad idea. But to to think that we need to go away from this style of play whenever I mean they're they have one of the best road records. This is like one of the best teams in the league and they are they know. The Thunder know. They are giving up rebounds. I mean, Mark says it all the time. Like they know that they're having to give give one thing up to do this other thing, and like it turns out, the other thing has made them one of what what the stats say is one of the best three teams in the NBA. And so I just, I we just have to really think hard about like, do we would we really want them to go away from? It doesn't really matter what we want at the end of the day. Like Press is going to do whatever he's going to do anyways. But like when we think and talk about the team. Like, do we, would we really want them to necessarily go away from this? Like, the answer is no. And that's why, like, a guy that I don't know that is available at this trade deadline, a Kelly Olenek, gives you the best of both worlds. Where it's like, can we find somebody that gives you the best of both worlds rather than just, like, somebody who is big, you know? Yeah, and, and I think the thing we're learning, which is like a 180 from last year's play-in game, is that when you talk about OKC needing a big... Minnesota's no longer uh, the team that you point to mm-hmm. for that argument. Mm-hmm. There are other teams where I, I do think it's legitimate. Like you, you can always talk about Denver because it's Jokic. But uh-huh. at the same time, like you are probably not. Who who is the guy that's going to be so great against Jokic that is just out there and available? You know, yeah. the guy he probably doesn't exist. You know, I know Sam Vecini made a case for Wendell Carter Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, in that sense. And, and, and I would obviously be super open to that because his contract is so good, but right. I still don't know why they would move him. Um, but yeah, the, the, this matchup has just like flipped on its head from la- that, that play in game to me. Yeah. Like it really feels like in the same way that I kind of feel like the Clippers are a bogey team for the thunder. Like I'm really worried about them. I feel that we are that team for the Timberwolves mm-hmm. in the same way that like the Timberwolves seem to play really well against Denver. Mm-hmm. You know, that seems to be a really good matchup for them. It does feel now that like OKC is a re- well, Minnesota is a really good matchup for OKC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and it's because they play they pro- the opposite way that they do. And that then the Timberwolves don't really have like they play a- the opposite way, but they also don't have that big offensively. That's really scaring you. True. Like, True, and true, and the true. great thing about Towns, like <laughs> for OKC, is that by keeping him in the game, there's always someone they can target. Yeah, like it's true. Shea was targeting him. Dort <laughs> was very happy to target Carl Anthony Towns, and so they kind of have to keep him in there because he is so good offensively, and and they need offensive help. But by leaving him in there, it always felt like okay, if we can just get Carl Anthony Towns on a switch. Like we're going to feel pretty good about what happens. Yeah, 
Yeah. And so, yeah, there's just, it's just a bad matchup right now for the Timberwolves. Doesn't mean they couldn't win a series. You know, it's, they're, they're still talented enough where they could beat the Thunder in a series. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we, I remember Thunder teams of past who would come up, you know, there were, there were times when I felt like Memphis was like a really tough matchup for OKC because yeah. you had Tony Allen who could be, provide some like credible defense yeah. on, on Kevin Durant. And some of those series were like really tough and you could maybe make an argument some years that the Grizzlies were like a bad matchup for OKC, but yeah. they were still able to win a lot of them. Mm-hmm. It was just very hard. So th- that's how that matchup just feels to me right now. Yeah. And like the results speak for themselves, you know, like they've been able to beat the Timberwolves and they get to do it one more time. They get to play them one more time in Oklahoma City. Andrew, don't be that cocky. They get to do it one more well, they time. They get to play them one more time. I'll say it yeah, that way. Yeah. Oh, if anyone wanted the actual turnover stats, so the Thunder uh, give up the fourth fewest turnovers in the league. The Timberwolves give up the third most turnovers in the yeah. league per game. That that right there is why they can beat the Timberwolves. Like that yeah. right there is is how they they can do it because but that's how you flip the whole rebounding conversation exactly because like now you're getting extra possessions yeah yes and like and that's how they want to play they want to play fast they have some of the best decision makers all over the court like this is how you want to play this is how you want to play and you have a guy like Chet who kind of like changes everything for you because like he does protect the paint in a way that you know guys couldn't last year. And he is a three-point threat, and I'd like to see him take more for them to generate more threes for him. But he, he slowed down a little bit, but I thought that he was really good in this game in particular. Like the Well, it, yeah, his final line looks good. It was interesting watching him on offense, though. I feel like he's trying to do more like self-creation. He was trying to do more self-creation stuff in yeah, that game. Yeah, at times, yeah. Um, but all of his field goals, made field goals, were assisted. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it still feels like the way their offense works, he should be getting so many easy attempts each game. Um, and, and sometimes that can be a little underwhelming because he's just such a good play finisher. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, how can we get this guy more involved? Because he's so good around the rim. And, and yet it feels like oftentimes he is being primarily used as kind of like that safety valve, pass it out, him hit a three. Yeah. which he's been very good at. But okay. I, I just want to see more involvement, try, trying to get him as more of a play finisher around the rim, just because I think he's so good at it. Yeah. I mean, and there's still... Maybe that's not the game when you're playing Gobert, but... Right. Well, and they're still... Lear- like, and, and they're largely like still learning how to play together. And I, and I feel like Shea and Dub are starting to figure stuff out together because you look at the way... Like, J-Dub like, did not shoot the ball well in this game. Like it, it still looks efficient because he had 20 points on 18 shots, but a lot of that's because he got to the free throw line. But they're starting to learn how to play off of each other a little bit. There's a lot of like screen actions that involve the two of them, and like they're obviously like, I mean, is it safe to say that like they're like one of like the most dynamic duos in the fourth quarter of like any game now? Uh, I mean, the way people are talking, Andrew. I mean, <laughs> we're going to be talking about that duo. Like as like league wide, yeah. Eventually, like the way people talk about like Tatum and Brown, like I think you people can are going start to be now. talking about Shea and Dub like that. I think you can start now. Yeah, 
because they they have just been that good, and J Dub in particular has just been that good. Like we know we know where Shea is in all of this, but the fact that Dub has been like is like taking another step. Like we are watching him take another step, where he's become a better passer. He's like very active. Like he had three steals in this game. Like he helped kind of generate a lot for them there. He's scoring at will on pull-ups, and his three-point shot wasn't falling in this game, but his three-point shot is just like, it's falling. And the fact that they can work off of each other and even like take turns where it's like, hey, J-Dub, we know that like J-Dub starts the fourth quarter as the go-to guy, and then Shea comes in and he can kind of like finish it as like the one-two punch. It's It's becoming a thing for them. And... I think Dub is going I mean, he's already one of the better wings in the league. And I was I was on NBA radio yesterday and Zach Harper thinks that he should that J Dub should be an all star. And like said that on the radio yesterday. I don't know if I would go that far, but looking at have you like even just like read his just stats lately? Eight, yeah, I mean if, if he had been four, doing his shooting splits are crazy. 54% from the field, 45.8% from three, 82% from the line. Yeah. Like it's the efficiency is it's astounding. It's eye popping. It's, it's crazy what he's been able to. I mean, 60% effective field goal for a wing is there's just not that many wings that can do that. I mean, I guess if I, I, I don't know if, the Chet thing does complicate it because I think people were assuming that if there was going to be a second all-star, it would be Chet. Yeah. And he's still going to show up higher than Dub in a lot of these advanced metrics. Yeah, yeah. And so, not that it really matters because it's the coaches making the decision, um, but isn't that who decides the the like the rest of the roster? Yeah, coaches decide the bench. Yeah. Yeah. So... It, it probably won't happen, but if he yeah. if he had been playing this way like since the beginning of the season, um, and I know it's dumb, but like he's over, he would be over twenty points per game at that point. Yeah, like I, I think it would be a much more of a conversation. Right now, it feels more of like a hot take yeah. thing. I mean, I heard I was listening to Bill Simmons and Zach Lowe, and Simmons was complaining like, "Do I really have to take two Lakers because they're?" <laughs> you know like a 500 team why do i have to do this yeah and zach was like well you don't have to but if you don't you're like having to make like the jalen williams over lebron argument and at the end of the day that's just like a hard argument to make yeah you know yeah i mean i like i totally would understand why the lakers would get to even though objectively it seems really dumb that a 500 team and especially if it gets to the point i mean if they beat minnesota again and they beat these three bad teams like we're in range of mark dagnall as all-star coach okc number one seed and if they're the number one seed then i do think there will be like a much larger contingent of people like are we really going to give this this team one all-star right it's just going to be shay i think that chat would be the the, the second all-star if it if i they think did, he probably would be if they did get a second all-star but you could very easily make the case for J Dub, yeah, to be to be it, because I mean the efficiency's there, the scoring in the fourth quarter is there. I mean it's it's 
It's pretty crazy. I mean, he's, he has a better effective field goal percentage than Tyrese Halliburton right now, just by a hair. You know, like the guys that are that are guards that are better than him in effective field goal percentage are all like role players for the most part. It's like Luke Kennard and Norman Powell and DiVincenzo. Mm-hmm. Isaiah Joe is there. And also Casey Wallace, but like Alex Caruso, Lonnie Walker, uh, Aaron Neesmith, Dante Exum. It's like these guys that just have like very low responsibilities. Grayson Allen, Malik Beasley. Like those are the kinds of guys. And like that's really the list of guys that have a better effective field goal percentage that are guards in the league than him. There's like really nobody that has like true offensive responsibilities that have a higher effective field goal percentage than him. I mean, there's it's nobody. Like Justin Holiday is another one. Amir Coffee. Like it's those guys, which mm-hmm. you would expect. And then like Halliburton's just like a tick underneath him. And then like you even have to go down the list quite a bit to even find other guys. Lou Dort, shout out to Lou Dort, fifty eight percent effective field goal percentage. Like better than hey. Buddy better than Buddy Heald this season. Hey, that hey is he shooting better from three than Buddy Heald? Than Buddy? Oh my gosh. It, it, I don't think that could be possible. He's sh- I think he is, yeah, because Buddy's shooting thirty nine point one. Oh, he definitely is then. Wow. Weird. I mean, we know that like Buddy's a better shooter. <laughs> so like we're not we're not sitting <laughs> yes. here like trying to make the case. But like my point in all of this is like she, like Shea's fifty seven percent effective field goal. James Harden's fifty seven percent effective field goal. Those are like some of the highest guys with like big responsibilities. And those guys are in like the top fifty for guards. Those are probably the two guys that have the most offensive responsibilities that have a high effective field goal percentage. Yeah, they're both, they're 47th for Harden and 48th for Shea in the ranking. CJ McCollum's 45th, but he didn't have quite as many offensive responsibilities. But just like the entire point of this is the efficiency from J-Dub in his second year to be able to do this where, like we talk about it, like what are, like, what are his flaws as a player? Like maybe he could be a little bit better defender. Maybe if he was a little bit taller, <laughs> like, I don't know. Like what is the, what's, what's well, the deal? Like this, this guy can be one of the best players in the league. Like he can, stop. but like saying that that's acknowledging that he's not there yet. And so like, there yeah. definitely are things because most, most people, like if they were ranking the league, I bet they'll put him in like the top 50. He'll probably be a, probably most everybody be in the thirties or forties. And for most yeah. lists, for sure. But for him to like really jump up to be like a top 20 player, kind of like how Jalen Brown was thought about like for many years. I don't know if people still think about Jalen Brown that way. Like People don't, the big, but, I, but I, I kind of think that's wrong. I think people are, are like way overcorrected on Jalen Brown. I think he's still an awesome player, but go ahead. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. When it's time for me to find a job, I went right to LinkedIn Jobs. They helped me find the right employer, and it was, man, very, very easy process. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash dunk. That's linkedin.com slash dunk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Um, he's got to get to line more. Yeah, that, for sure. Like, that was, yes. and, and he was great against Minnesota. He got to the line 10 times. Yeah. Um, the, the really interesting thing is if you go to cleaning the glass and you look at the percentage of a player's shot attempts that he was fouled on, they call it the shooting foul percentage. Mm-hmm. This year, for a wing, he's in the 83rd percentile. So what that tells me is he's just not taking enough shots. Like if he's, It sounds like he's good at actually generating those foul shots. But if he's only taking, you know, 13 shots per game, I mean, I'm, and he's so efficient that it's hard to be that mad. But, yeah. um, you know, if he's taking 13, 14 shots, he, yeah, he's not going to be getting to the line. He's taking 13.3 for the season right now. Yeah. So I think if you could find him some more shots, it's not like he can't get to the line. Yeah. Apparently, he's, he's very good at getting fouled. Um, but he ju- it just is a smaller part of his game because he's only taking 13.3 shot attempts per game. He's taken so 20 shots that, one time this season. He's what? He's taken 20 shots once this season. Once, yeah. How many times has he done it in his career? Uh, Three. Once. That was it. Oh, my gosh. See? There you go. So it's it's not like... I mean, 
obviously the giddy conversation has completely changed. But if you think back to last summer, yeah, like the thing with giddy drawing fouls is like we were still waiting to see him just be able to do it. Yeah, and and we saw that in the in FIBA. Um, but that obviously hasn't translated. But with right. J Dub, like even last year, looking at that same stat. So, what percentage of a player's shot attempts was he fouled on last year? It was eleven point seven percent of his shots. This year, it's eleven point four percent. So he's it's been there. Mm. It is there. It's there. He just needs more field goal attempts in order to boost his free throw attempts, uh, which did happen against Minnesota. He took eighteen shots, and he got to the line ten times. Yeah. So, like, th- there is a world where if you could increase the shots. For J Dub, keep Shea where he is, and I, and honestly, I think Chet once he gets his shots up, he's going to be going to the line a lot. He went to the line six times against yeah. the Timberwolves. They they could be a team that is just from those three players. It wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for them to be averaging like twenty five to thirty free throw attempts, uh, like during a, during a, a run. You know, you're probably not going to average thirty attempts for a season, but. Like they could have games where collectively they combine for thirty free throw attempts. Yeah, and I think like that would be probably like the hope because they are the best free throw shooting team in the league right now. Eighty four percent. They're like kind of flip flopping with Philly, who's at eighty three point nine percent. But again, like those are that's a historic number. Like if they can hold to that number, they're going to be like one of the best free throw shooting teams ever. That is probably the one thing that mirrors the early Thunder teams because they were also super good at free throws. Yeah. And it just makes such a difference in games like that against the Timberwolves when you're passing in the ball and you can throw it to Isaiah Joe. You can throw it to a six man and you know that he's going to go and knock down those shots. Yeah, it's true. I mean, even Dort and Giddy are both over 80%. Yeah, I was going to say, like, there is not, whereas, like, with some of those Thunder teams, there was always, like, there was always a weak spot. Where it was, man, I don't, you don't want Tabo. Like, the only weak spot on the team is Kenrich. And yeah, Kenrich, Kenrich hasn't taken a free throw in like two months. <laughs> Seriously. Like, when was the last <laughs> time not... Kenrich Williams took a free throw? And like, he's Ken... taken, for, for the amount of minutes he's played, because he's almost played 500 minutes, he has taken 10 free throws this season. He's, he's avoiding it like the plague right now because he has promised like... that he's going to shoot his free throws in a particular way. And ever since he promised that, it's not happening. This is crazy. Davis Bertans has played 83 minutes this season. He has taken 15 free throws. 14 or 15, too. Shout out, Davis. Yeah, the last time he took free throws hasn't been quite two months. Against the Houston Rockets in that horrific game. He played 14 minutes. He took two free throws in that game on the 6th of December. It was the last time that he took free throws. So he's the only weak spot, and he doesn't take them ever. And he is like rarely playing in crunch time too, which I think there will be games where he plays in crunch time. But the fact that you can have all five guys out there that you're like, yeah, I feel good about them shooting free throws um, is a big deal. And not to say like they couldn't choke, like Ann Edwards like clearly just choked those free throws away. But... You know, you feel good about everybody stepping to the line, even Giddy, you know, which I think people, you know, may scoff at. But, like, he, he hits his free throws, which which also, like, gives you hope for, like, his shooting to be better. And it, and it has been better, but, you know, for him, for his career, for it to be a little bit better. Yeah, I was looking at his shooting because 
back, you know, the, the Houston game happens. Then we start seeing more teams doing center on Giddy. Mm-hmm. And it happened to coincide with Giddy having like one of the best shooting stretches of his career. Yeah. He shot 43% over 21 games. Yeah. Over his last nine games, he's down to 25%. Yeah. So it's, and, and that's just like what I am going to be expecting. Sure. Like I'm going to expect that kind of like wide variance. And yeah. that's why in a playoff game, like you're just not going to know what you're going to get. You could get the game like you got against the Timberwolves where he's taking four threes and he's missing all of them. Yeah. Um, he might have a stretch where he does just get hot randomly. You know, if I, I, I'm still like super cautious about saying this, but it does feel like Dort's kind of coming out of that where probably in his heart, he is a streaky shooter, but he has gotten <laughs> to the point where he's been so consistent for a pretty long time now. Yeah. It's just the kinds. Of, it, I think it's the kinds of shots that he takes now. It is. I I uh, I put this up on Twitter, but I went and looked at like all of his threes and whether they were considered wide open or not. Yeah, and it's been very consistent across the previous three seasons, where about forty to forty five percent of his threes were considered wide open. Mm-hmm. So about half of them. This season. It's six. It's like fifty nine or sixty percent of his threes are wide open. Yeah, and he's shooting forty nine point five percent on those wide open threes. Now that is probably going to come down. He has been very consistent over the last three years, shooting around thirty seven percent on those types of shots. When 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 a when a defender is at least six feet yeah. away. Yeah, yeah. So that's probably coming down. He's probably not going to shoot fifty percent on wide open threes. But even if yeah. he came down. To thirty eight percent overall, he would still be like a thirty nine percent three point shooter mm-hmm. be- because he's still getting those those corner threes and he's still doing great on those. So like even if there is some regression, which I think is to be expected at some point for Dort, I think overall he's this is clearly going to be his best shooting season, and I think he's good enough now where you're not as worried in the playoffs. Yeah. And even at the rim, like in the restricted area, he was 48% in the restricted area last season. You know, he's up to 55% this season, which on this team feels bad (laughs) because of the way that some of these dudes perform in the restricted area. But like, that's an improvement for Dort as well. Um, But you look at everybody else, dude. Shea is 71.8% in the restricted area on six and a half attempts per game. That is like, that is so dumb. Like that's an insane stat that he's able to do that. Like that's that's how, what center shoot in the yeah. restricted area. I mean, Chet's at seventy five percent in the restricted area on three point eight attempts. The fact that he continues to get there, every team knows, and they game plan for his drives, and yet six and a half attempts per game, which is impressive in itself, and then seventy one point eight percent is. Just wild, just wild. I mean, I'm, let me pull up what guards are doing just in the restricted area. Uh, Shea's taking the most attempts in the restricted area this season. Six and a half, six point five is the most. Like Tyrese Maxey, five point seven is the next. Sixty two percent. Remember, Shea is seventy two percent. Maxey sixty two percent. Mitchell's the next. Five point six attempts at sixty five percent. Tatum is right there with Shea, taking about one less per game at 70.8%. Shea's still a little bit better. Jalen Brown, 65%. LaMelo Ball, 54%. 
RJ Barrett, 61%. And Edwards is up there. He's at 69%. Really good. Bain is 68. Cade Cunningham, 59%. Uh, Lillard, 60%. Uh, let's see. J Dub at 68% is one of the best two in the league, taking 4.5, which is crazy. Um, Scotty Barnes is up there, listed as a guard here on NBA.com. Um, 70%. Still not as good as Shea. Um, DeJounte Murray, 57%. I mean, it's, it's really tough to make shots there, especially getting there consistently. Scoot Henderson, 47% in the restricted area this season. Oh, uh, do, uh, do Tyler Hero. Uh, <laughs> I, I happen to know what this is. Let me see I if I can find him. It. He's way down the list. He's not even in the top, like, 100. Yeah, you're going to have to scroll for a attempts. while. Let me find Maybe him. We'll May as well go to the last page. Might as well go to the last page. Trey Young, fifty-three percent, is another one. Here, just let me let me sort by team, so I can figure this out. <laughs> so I'm not just saying names for the next seven minutes. <laughs> oh my gosh! Come on. Um, and I think there's an argument to be made that like maybe he's playing a little bit above his head in terms of those percentages because he's never shot above sixty-four percent at the rim. <laughs> In previous seasons, but he's bigger, However, like he's stronger, he's better. I mean, he well, Shea, Shea is a better player s- than he was last season. This season, I don't think he's not only that, that, but I do think you have to factor in the newfound spacing, because having totally. Chet on this team has made it easier for him to get better looks. So maybe it is more sustainable than people want would maybe want to believe. Oh, poor Tyler Hero, flaw. Hero 407 percent. Oh, it, it increased. It was like thirty nine percent on Friday. So, two at, made some um, shots. two attempts per game. Dude, that is that is rough. Yeah, not really getting in the line. That is really really rough. But like the whole point is that Shea at the hoop is he's clearly the best guard at the hoop. I mean, he's shooting better at the hoop than Demonis Sabonis is. Yeah, that's wild. He's shooting better than Shengun. He's shooting like literally ten percentage points better at the rim. Than Clint Capella, he's shooting mm. three percentage points better at the rim than Joel Embiid. Same with Gobert. He's three percentage points better than Nikola Jokic at the rim this season. I mean, it's not just guards. I mean, it's every position that he's well, and that he's shooting better. Like the only guys that are like a lot better than him. There's really only one guy that's a lot better than him. Jokic. No, he's better than Jokic. Oh, he's better than Jokic. Giannis is the only one. Oh, Giannis. Yeah, Giannis is the only guy. Giannis is shooting 78.5% at the rim. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, that's insane. But Shea is like not only the best guard at the rim this season, but one of the best players at the rim this season, doesn't matter what position. Like There are very few players that are shooting a high volume at the rim. It's... Basically, the only guys that are better than him at the rim this season, Giannis, Anthony Davis, Jalen Duran, Evan Mobley, that's it. Like, everybody else is either, like, right there with him or worse than him at the hoop, which is And it's obviously wild. the him being able to do that, and not just him, but also J-Dub, who's great, uh, Chet, great 
Yeah. There's actually a lot of players. Like a lot of their cutters are super great around the rim. Case and Wallace, Isaiah Joe. Isaiah Joe shooting 83% at the rim. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it's actually best on the team. It's it's why their entire offense works. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you didn't have really good finishers, this whole drive and kick thing wouldn't really work as well. Yeah, it's true. Um, and so it's really important that all these guys can finish around the rim. Both the guys who are actually being the primary ball handlers like Shea and J-Dub, but also all these cutters. Um, like They have just so many good cutters. I mean, the, the fact that Mitic is shooting 73% at the rim. And I, th- I kind of feel like that's real, too. Like it's, I know that it's on smaller amount of attempts, um, but every time I see Mitic go to the rim, it, it's not wild. Like he's very controlled. Yeah, it seems real. Like he's able to finish. So he's had some tough finishes. Yeah, he's obviously not going to play a ton, but like I, I do think that like he's a good finisher as well. Yeah, he's at seventy. It's not just like a small sample size yeah. stat. Yeah, seventy percent on the season. Like the guys who and he's a- up to thirty three percent from three. Andrew, according to cleaning the glass. Wow, the Thunder don't have a player that's less than 50, that's less than fifty percent at the hoop this season. Uh, they do according to cleaning the glass. Well, I'm not counting this guy because he's at zero who, percent. Who, who's your guy? Bertans. Oh, I was talking about J Will. J Will's at fifty percent exactly. Okay, so it must be a lot of garbage time because he's 44% <laughs> on uh, cleaning the glass. It is a lot of garbage time for him, for sure. Yeah. but And and that's, going back to like trade deadline, like that's still like the one part of this roster where it's not even that like, I'm not open to the idea of Jay Will getting minutes in the playoffs. It, it's just, I would like to have another option. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you get in a scenario where Chet is in foul trouble, but you're playing a team that's really big and you just don't feel it's the type of team that's big where you don't feel comfortable playing Kenrich. I, I would be a little worried about J will like mainly thinking about Denver. Like I think when people bring up Denver, they're thinking too much about like Chet playing the four and who, who's going to be that other big at the five. I'm thinking about it more like, I don't know how great I feel about putting Kenrich as a small ball five against Jokic and how they're going to be able to survive those minutes in the playoffs. If we just had like another option just to throw in there if Chet is in foul trouble. You know, like I'm not looking for someone who's going to change the starting lineup. I think they would play even, Jay. I think they would play Jay Will if the roster stayed as is. I no, I agree and I'm saying I don't feel great about that right now. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that is a a, a spot that could be upgraded. Now again, the reality is like as good as we feel about this team, what it has to be the right kind of player though. Like they're just they just don't want just a big body. Like as good as we feel about this team, as good as they are, it's also going to be true that like somebody's going to have a bad playoffs. Oh, probably going to be multiple players. There could be, I mean, it could be one of the guys that we've just been gushing about. It could be Chet. It could be Jada. It could be. It could be. But the huge difference we just don't know is that if it is a guard. I do feel like there's a ton of depth. There's a lot of depth. Whereas if it is a big man, I do not feel as good. Not as much depth. depth. Not as much depth. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I don't disagree. I think that they could use one more big or like even a... I, I still think they could use another big wing too. Yeah. Um, and 
it it has to be the right kind of player though. Like they've got to be a thundery type player, like shoot, pass, dribble, those kinds of guys is what you're looking for. I don't think that they would just fill it with anybody that became available. You know, like I've, we've talked about Dorian Finney-Smith a lot, but like the more I think about him, the more I'm just like, I just don't know that he fits the mold well enough. Yeah. Um, I think he could play on this team and be good. I just don't know that he fits the mold well enough for you to give up like multiple really good assets to get him. Because that's what you'd have to do. I mean, you'd have to give up, you know, two firsts at least, to get him. I've got my buddy Mike Smeltz, who's a uh, podcast producer here at The Athletic and then uh, has a Nets podcast. He's texting me this morning about, he's like, he's like what, what, what can I do to get Dorian Finney-Smith and Nick Claxton on your team this year? He asked you, what can I, what yeah. Can I do? Yeah. He's like, he's, he wants to start the bidding at four first-rounders. And I'm like, no, thanks. That's where I'm like, okay, like how how deep into the pockets of these first round picks are you willing to go this season? Like, I for me it's like one. Like, I just don't know that I'm willing to give up. Like, f- definitely not. If if I were running the show, like I would not be willing to dip in and give four first rounders for somebody, you know, unless they were just like perfect for the team, you know. Right, like, but at the same time, like. I understand his perspective in that, like, why am I giving up these guys for anything less? Like, yeah, I I want to be good. I can't tank. So why am I giving up two rotation players for like two firsts? You know, it's just like not worth it to them. Like yeah. they they should like, just keep them. It, it's not the Royce O'Neal thing where he's going to be an expiring contract and yeah. be a free agent. Like they have control over both of those players. I know that Claxton's going to restrict free agents or or is. Is it restricted fee agency or is he eligible for an extension? Who? I think it's Claxton. Oh, he. I, I think, think he's restricted, right? He's restricted. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Restricted. So, like, they have full control over both of those guys. Yeah. So, when I saw those reports and everyone was making fun of it, like the Nets want two first for Dorian Finney-Smith, I was like, yeah, why wouldn't they? Like, what? Why are they in a rush to give up their good players? They have no incentive to be bad. They have no incentive to be bad. Even though they are bad, even though they are t- so bad. terrible, <laughs> they should be thinking the other way though. Like they have all those Suns picks. Like I don't feel like enough people are talking about them as like the team that's going to have the next star package, right? And the way you have that star package is by hanging on to guys like Dorian Finney-Smith and Nick Claxton, so that you could throw in one of those guys with all of these Suns picks that you got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, unfortunately, uh, no deal. And I think it makes sense for both sides. He also said no that he would that throw case. in Spencer Dinwiddie just for nothing. Wow. Just give him up. I do think, I do think, I wonder who Spencer's going to be on. He's definitely going to be moving. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Like the trade deadline this season is really interesting because there's a lot of buyers. You know, you listen in to any <coughs> podcast about a good team, they're all talking about the same guys, you know? Yeah. Like everybody's talking about the Nets. Everybody's thinking like, oh, we can get a hold of so and so from the Nets or whatever. I mean, everybody's having the conversation. And so it actually puts the Nets in a good position because right. you think about like who like who are the sellers this season? Like who are for sure the sellers this season at the deadline? It's just not that many teams. 
Yeah, it feels like Wizards, uh, Hawks seem to be... Wizards, Hawks, Charlotte, maybe one. Yeah, Charlotte is one. Detroit doesn't have anything to sell. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Bogdanovich maybe. But everybody else, like Nuggets, Wolves, Thunder, Jazz are probably more a buyer than a seller, you know, as we continue to move into this. Warriors are buyers, Clippers are buyers, Lakers are buyers, Suns are buyers, Kings are buyers, Mavs, Rockets. You know, it's everybody. Pelicans, which are, there's a report that we can touch on quickly about Herb Jones being possibly available. But you go through the East, it's like Celtics, Knicks, Sixers, you know, Cavs, Pacers, Bucks, Heat, Magic. I mean, it's all those teams are buyers. Bucks. I don't know. They have a lot to spend, but they're they're a buyer. Um, what did you think about the Herb Jones report? Matt Moore reported that Herb Jones could be had, but I don't, uh, I don't really believe it. Um, I mean, I mean, I guess on the one hand, everyone in the league is probably available if you if you gave for the right price. Enough. Yeah, you know, it's not like Herb Herb Jones is untouchable or anything. Herbert, Herbert, but uh, Herb is making great. He's on an amazing contract. He's on an that was just contract. signed. Just signed. He's signed for the next three seasons: 14-9. Yeah, why would they trade it's him? A great deal. Like this idea that they need to shed some money. Like, yeah, long term they probably do, but they don't need to right now. And certainly, like not, the like, why would he be the vehicle to shed money? Yeah, like Trey Murphy, his deal isn't going to kick in for a couple more seasons, and that's going to be the deal that like theoretically screws up their books right but like yeah you they don't need to do it right now so i guess like if you massively overpaid for herb jones then yeah maybe you could get him but that was probably always the case yeah when does cj mccollum expire um his deal comes off the books in 25 26 but i mean what happens so the the problem for them is that ingram is an expiring next season. Yeah. So he's going to be eligible for a huge next contract. And Valanchunas is an expiring this year. So if they want to bring him back and they don't really have like a ton of other options, um, he's going to be getting a deal. Yeah. So like they do have issues. They do. With, with with their upcoming cap, but in reality, they don't pay the tax either. Do what? They don't pay the tax either, which is a problem. They don't pay the tax. It really looks like that twenty five twenty six is the year that it would be bad because yeah. that would be the year that Brandon Ingram would be starting his new deal, which the way the cap's going, it's definitely over forty. Yeah, I was gonna say probably 50, closer to fifty. Fifty million probably. Yeah. Yeah. And Trey Murphy, he would be starting his new contract that yeah. same year. So like, yeah, that season they need to figure out something by then. And so, yes, yeah, so if you gave them three first round picks, I bet you could get Herb Jones. Yeah. Also, but, also though, like they've already made their cap maneuver, you know, moving Kyra Lewis to get under this season. To yeah. get under the the like, yeah, exactly. They they just don't have that that type of pressure. Yeah. There's no incentive this season to be to to do it now. Now in the future, sure, there's going to be other things on the table. Just with the weirdness of their ownership and the fact that they probably won't pay the tax. Like, yeah. There's going to be stuff there, but today, I just don't, I just don't see it. I mean, he, he's he'll be good. 
Yeah, he he'd be a, good, but in a also- vacuum, I like him more than Dort in a vacuum, even with Dort's recent shooting explosion. Although to be fair to Herb, he's shooting thirty eight percent from three this season. Yeah, um, I, I do like him just because of his size. Yeah, he's just he's so much bigger. I mean, six eight, two ten, like that. Is, that would be awesome to have, because then you don't have to necessarily put when when you face like a really big wing. Which Dort can handle some of that, but like I think you'd feel even more confident with Herb Jones handling those those duties. Yeah, like he, he can guard up in a way that I don't think Dort can. But I don't know if I want both Dort and Herb. I was just about to say I don't think that you. I think you need one of those guys, not both of them. And you're not trading Dort back to them because he just causes more contract issues. He makes more money. I was gonna say he Herb makes Jones. a little bit. More, he makes a little bit more money than Herb does over the course of their deals. So it's like. Yeah, what are we even doing here? You know. Yeah, I just don't think there's a there's a match there. I don't think so either. It's fun to think about, but I just don't just don't see it. But there are a lot of teams that could use him for sure. Um, but yeah, I yeah, don't. the king, the if the Kings wanted to give them multiple first, I'd say, hey, go for it. Yeah, that Sacramento, is a great idea. Sacramento could really use him, but also, you know, who else could use him? The Pelicans could use him. Like Pelicans could probably use them. Too. <laughs> like they're a team that like that wants to make the playoffs and believes that they still have high aspirations. Like just trading him for picks would definitely lower what they could be. I mean, they're the fifth seed. They're not. They're not like you know eleventh or something. They're the fifth seed in the Western Conference right now. You know, they're they're right in the mix. Where if they you know if they won their first round series. You know, if the season ended today, you know, they play OKC in round two. You know, they, and in which case you need Herb Jones yeah, on your team to play a team like the Thunder. So to me, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense for them to make that move. And like, they still have a high and ceiling and with their, with their guys. So I just don't, I, I mean, know this it just is, makes no sense. Uh, I know this is a dumb thing, but like he was drafted by Griff. Like yeah. He's one of Griff's guys. Yeah, totally. It's one of his like biggest successes, finding yeah. someone like this in the second round, making it to their second contract, being this impactful of a player. I just can't believe that he would be that willing to get rid of him. Well, it's also a success for him to get him on the contract that he's on. Yeah. Everything about it is is a success success story, so I don't believe it at all. Yeah, Everything not... about it is a sex story. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I have... It sounds fun. It's fun to talk about. I don't think it's gonna happen. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, we can go ahead and stamp it. Not gonna happen. So Stamp it. Stamp which it. Which means which means it might happen now. <laughs> which means now we flipped now, it. Now now that was our entire plan with this segment. <laughs> <laughs> now it can actually happen. Uh, uh hey, thanks so much for listening to our show. We'll be back Wednesday for sure. I I think I have a, a fun uh special episode tomorrow scheduled so keep an eye out for that um hope you guys have an awesome day if you're in okc stay warm stay safe and we will talk to you guys again for sure probably tomorrow but for sure on wednesday